We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, if, uh, if you will, I would ask you just to pray for me today, it's a bit of a challenge for me today to be here to do this, but I'm excited at the same time, I guess, in preparation for a message. Uh, God has used his word for me, he's been very active uh, during the nighttime hours uh, for me, and so... I'm excited about the message that God has. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. Lord, I do praise you and thank you for your goodness and your greatness and your mercy and your grace. I thank you, Father, for the way that you are alive and active in our lives. I thank you, Father, for a salvation that is just beyond our ability to understand or certainly to explain loving us so much that you would send your son Jesus that if we believe in him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. Father, saving us from an eternity of eternal damnation. And in fact, Father, you demonstrated that love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did die for us. So in these next few moments, Father, as we look at this passage and we contemplate your great love for us. I pray, Father, that each of us would look at this passage with fresh eyes. I pray for that man or that woman or that student that's in the auditorium today that perhaps has never really had their faith tested, never really come upon a circumstance in life where they really had to lean in to their faith with great confidence. And maybe some of that is due to the fact that, that that faith doesn't exist. And so I pray for those individuals that are in the room today, Father, that are outside of fellowship with you. I pray, Father, that as your message is proclaimed today, that the Holy Spirit would be active in drawing those into fellowship with Christ. Calling the lost home. Calling the lost to a salvation that is greater than anything we could ever comprehend or understand. I do thank you for Jesus today, and I thank you for the power of his shed blood. And these things I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the year 1969, 1969, I was in the second grade. Our family lived in Lafayette, Louisiana. And some of you will remember that in 1969, there was a, a rather formidable hurricane that came into the Gulf Coast, and that was Hurricane Camille. Now, living in Lafayette, we're pretty well inland there, and I just remember when the storm came through, I remember being at our back window, and I remember watching the straight line winds and the rain just going straight, just parallel with the ground. I remember watching our neighbor's shed just literally ripped off its foundation and flipped three or four homes down. But one of the things I remember the most about that storm was there was a little green tree frog that had taken refuge in the top corner of our window. And he was hanging on for dear life as those winds came in, and he was hanging on with his little frog's feet. And we were just watching that and just amazed at what was going on. And at the same time we were watching all that, what we didn't know was that the evening before the storm made landfall, in a little place on the Gulf Coast known as Past Christian, Mississippi. 
past Christian, Mississippi, there was a group of about 20 or so that had gathered for a hurricane party of all things. I've never been to a hurricane party. I hope I never go to a hurricane party, but those of you that have been in and around the Gulf Coast are familiar with a hurricane party, and this group had gathered for this hurricane party. They were in a three-story apartment complex. They were in the middle. They were on the second story. And that evening, as it began to get dark outside, the local police chief came by, and he pulled up out front, and there was a guy out on the balcony, and the police chief goes over and says, hey, look, the storm's getting worse. You guys need to clear out of here now. And about that time, several other guests came out, and they were kind of laughing at the chief's warning, and one of them even commented, hey, this is my land. If you want to get me out of here, you're going to have to arrest me. Well, in fact, the police chief didn't arrest anybody that night, but he did take the time to go up with all the guests, and he just wrote down the next of kin for each of the guest members. And as he was writing the names of the next of kin down of those guests, they were all laughing and carrying on and just seemed almost oblivious to the magnitude of the storm that was coming their way. And in fact, the storm did make landfall, and when it made landfall, the waves that came into the Gulf Coast area were estimated between 20 and 28 feet. The winds came in in excess of 205 miles per hour. The National Weather Service reported that the worst damage occurred in a little bitty small place called Past Christian, Mississippi. Of the 20 some odd people that were gathered at that party that night, most were fatalities. There was only one lone survivor. And that was a five-year-old child that was found just clinging to a mattress. Getting a warning before the storm hits, being advised well in advance, you need to get out. What would cause them to make such a poor decision? Could it have been their pride? Could it have been their ego? Could it have been their ignorance? We'll never know what drove them to that decision. But we do know that ample warning was given. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is going to communicate to us several things that many of you are going to, you're going to say, well, you know, I, I'm aware of that already, but I just want you to know in verses 1 through 11, he's going to give us a declaration, he's going to give us an explanation, and he's going to give us a foundation. He's going to give us a declaration, he's going to give us an explanation, and he's going to give us a foundation. So let's first look at the declaration that he gives in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. This is what the Bible says. Now, as to the periods of times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Verse number two, for you yourselves know, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. Verse number three, while they were saying peace and safety, while they were saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Verse number four, the Bible says this, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day would not overtake you like a thief. Verse number five, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. 
and we are not, and we are not of the night nor of darkness. And he uses those personal pronouns there, you and yourselves and they and them and we and what he's doing there is he's, de- he's describing very vividly for us, there's a huge contrast between the saved and the lost. Lost are in the darkness, saved are in the light, saved are sons of the day. And he's talking to these believers at the church at Thessalonica and he's reminding them, you guys, you guys are sons of the day. Now I want you to know that church was not like Oakland Heights Baptist Church where one of our biggest concerns is whether or not it's too hot in the balcony. This is a church that was under extreme pressure. This is a church that was under extreme persecution. They were fighting the good fight. And Paul was writing them to let them know, hey, stand your ground. You guys, you're children of light. You're sons of the day. Stay focused. Be diligent. And he's using these terms, you and yourselves and they and them, the people in Thessalonica would be reminded of who they are and what they stand for. Now, Paul describes this sudden destruction. He talks about the sudden destruction that's going to happen when the end comes. Now, we're not going to get into the big discussion today about what your beliefs are concerning eschatology. I believe this. I believe the end's going to happen. And I believe when the end happens, it's not going to make a single bit of difference whether you're right or I'm right or someone else is right or who's right or who's wrong concerning eschatology. What we need to know is the storm's coming. The storm is going to come and we are going to be protected. As followers of Christ, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be protected when this sudden destruction comes on you. Paul describes the the idea of the sons of light and the sons of day, and he's doing that just to contrast who we are in our fellowship with Christ. So he gives this declaration of what's about to happen. Much like the sheriff rolls up, the the police chief rolls up, and he tells these people, he says, I'm declaring to you, This storm is getting worse. This destruction is going to happen. Oh, well, if you want me out of here, you're going to have to arrest me. You're going to have to take me. I'm not going to be a willing participant. I'm not going to go willingly. And so for you and I, Paul's reminding us here that the storm is coming. Now, you don't know when the storm's coming, and I don't know when the storm's coming, but I'm here to tell you today, the storm is going to come. And he comes along after that, so he's given us this declaration, and now he's going to give us a bit of an explanation, beginning in verse number six. In verse number six, the Bible says this, so then, let's not sleep as others do, let's not sleep as others do, but let's be alert and sober. Talking to you today about the soberness of your salvation in Christ. Let's be alert. Let's be sober. Verse number seven. For those also, for those, for those also sleep, they sleep at night. And those who are drunk, they get drunk at night. And verse number eight says this, but since we are of the day, let's be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of our salvation. You know, this idea of, you know, I think we've kind of lost touch with this idea about this armor that God's given us. I don't know for you how important that is that he describes here our 
our salvation as being like a breastplate that we put on and what kind of protection that offers. You know, he talks about this idea here of let's not sleep. He's not talking about physical sleep here. What he's talking about here is indifference to the storm that's coming. Those people that gathered out on the balcony and they're laughing and joking and having a good time. All the sheriffs, you know, he's taking down our name or next to Ken. It's no big deal. They were indifferent to the peril that they were in. They were indifferent to the storm that was descending upon them for whatever reason. Whether it was their ego, whether it was, you know, whatever the thing happened to be, they were indifferent to what that man was telling them. So, we're not of the day. We're, we're of the day, we're not of the night, is what he's reminding us. He tells us to be sober, to be alert. What in the world does that mean? What does, the world, what does that mean that you and I as fathers of Christ, that we ought to be sober, that we ought to be alert? Well, it means that we ought to be on our guard. We ought to be all the time anticipating and looking and watching. You know, a lot of people describe this as, hey, you know, the Bible's talking about Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night. I've got a newsflash for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to be surprised when he comes back. We're not going to be surprised when the Lord Jesus comes back. We're anticipating the Lord Jesus coming back. We know he's coming back. It's not going to be a surprise to us. Now, we don't know when that's going to happen, but you and I, we shouldn't be surprised when the Lord Jesus comes back. And then he goes on and he tells us this, that we ought to take up this breastplate of faith. It's a piece of protective armor. Now, the very breastplate that Paul's talking about here weighed about 25 pounds. I don't know about you as far as what that would mean for you carrying around an extra 25 pounds a day. I had Doug Webb. I called him this morning. I said, hey, Doug, you got any body armor? He kind of gave me that big laugh, you know. He said, what's up? What you going to do? He wanted to make sure, hey, before I give you this body armor, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm not real sure about your decision making. So I told him kind of what I had in mind. And he said, well, I got an extra one out in the car. And old Doug, he came walking in here and he was carrying this big old vest. (laughs) Y'all know Doug's pretty big. And he was carrying this thing with one arm. And I knew right away, well, if Doug's carrying that with one arm, I better go get a dolly or some kind of piece of equipment to carry that thing around. I just want you to know, this thing's heavy. This is not a lightweight vest. This body armor that that man wears every single day is designed and engineered to protect him from projectiles bullets so that when when he comes under attack he's got this on to protect him and Paul's reminding us here hey I've got something for you you and I ought to put on the breastplate of our faith and love I'm 58 years old And unfortunately, I didn't learn this lesson until this year. Now, many of you in the room, you've had your faith challenged and you've had some devastating blows in your life and you've had cause and reason to be able to understand the significance of the breastplate and the protection that it offers, the breastplate of our faith. 
It took me 58 years to understand that. And last May, beginning on about May 6th, I began day by day to understand more and more every day why God gave me this breastplate of faith and love. As we watched our sun decline every day from May 6th all the way to June 16th, every day I was reminded that that breastplate was protecting me. I was being reminded of the significance of having that. And so for some of you, maybe it is the case today that your faith has never been tested. But I'm here to stand before you today and testify that that is one of the greatest protective tools that the Lord God Almighty has ever given any one of us is our faith and trust in Christ and how he uses that to protect us from the world that we're living in. Is it a lot to carry that load around? Yeah, it's heavy. It's cumbersome. Be a lot easier to not carry that thing around. Be a lot easier to be able to just stand out there on that balcony and just scoff at the warning that I've been given. Be a lot easier just to say, hey, you know, no big deal. We're just going to ride the storm out here. Not knowing that in just a few hours, 205 mile an hour winds are going to attack that structure. They're going to blow it off its foundation. Nothing left. I don't know in your world if you've ever been hit by a 28 foot wave. But I've been hit by a 25 foot wave and I can tell you right now it's hard to stand still when the wave hits. But I can tell you this that God does in fact protect us, that his protection is real. This critical piece of armor protected people in the first century from arrows and spears and other projectiles. And although it's a metaphor for the protection that God gives us, I just want you to know that the storms of life are real. How do you see your faith this morning? as being your breastplate? How do you see your faith this morning as being a tool that God has given you to protect your life from the projectiles that life throws at it, from the arrows that you're going to experience? You and I are warriors. Some of you may not feel like warriors and some of you may say, I don't really feel like I'm in a war. But I'm here to tell you today, you and I are warriors. And the sooner we gravitate to a warrior mentality, the better off we're going to be. Warriors. If you're old school, you could sing, I'm in the Lord's army. I won't sing that for you today about marching in the infantry and fly over the artillery and all that stuff. But would you agree with me this morning that there's an element of truth? To that song? Would you believe me today if I told you that a person without this protection will not be able to withstand the battles of this life? You all know friends, as I know friends, that have gone through tremendous battles in their life and they had no faith. 
they weren't anywhere near proximity to this breastplate that God was offering as protection. A person without that cannot withstand. Listen to what Ephesians 6 and verse 13 says, referencing the full armor of God. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to, so that you will be able to with, uh, resist on the evil day. And having done this, everything, you'll be able to stand firm. James 4 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Submit yourselves to God, but resist evil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, the Bible puts it this way. Be sober of spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him. Firm in your faith, this breastplate of your faith, knowing that the same experiences and suffering are being accomplished by your brothers and sisters who are in the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, Paul puts it this way. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking who he can devour. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 3, the Bible says this, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then he talks about this helmet that we have here, and it's the, the helmet of the hope of our salvation. We've got the breastplate of our faith, and then we've got this helmet that we're to wear that is the hope of our salvation. Now, that's an interesting thought. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people about their salvation in Christ in my lifetime. I've, I've sat and I've visited with individuals. I've talked to groups about what it means to be saved and tell me about your salvation. You know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about salvation. There's a lot of people that don't even understand their own salvation. But it's interesting that he, he puts it in this context for us today, that this helmet that we're going to put on is the very hope of our salvation. And I just wonder today, do you have that helmet? You know, let's be honest, it's real easy to have that helmet when there's really nothing going on, nothing to report. There's no storm out in the Gulf of Mexico that's about to blow your building off its foundation. The hope of our salvation. Listen to what the Bible says in Luke 19, verse number 10. Luke puts it this way, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 7, 21, Matthew puts it this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. 1 John 5, verse number 12, John puts it this way, the one who has the son has the life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 12, it's put this way for us. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now Paul's given us this declaration and then he's given us a bit of an explanation and I want to spend a few minutes today talking to you about the foundation. 
Because this is the area where I see the most confusion with individuals trying to explain to me their personal salvation in Christ. They don't have a foundation. And whether it's their fault or the church's fault, I'm not really interested in whose fault it is. I'm more concerned that you and I as followers of Christ understand that when we're speaking to someone about salvation in Christ, when we're speaking about the magnitude of the breastplate being our faith and our helmet that we put on being the hope of our salvation, that we be able to speak with some degree of certainty about what that means. And I'm telling you, there seems to be a lot of confusion So let's see what Paul says here relative to the foundation, beginning in verse number nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I could, I could just stop right there because that's pretty clear. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, he says this. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or whether we are asleep, we will be together with him. Verse number 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. The hope of eternal life with Jesus. When, when you and I are looking into the eyes of someone that is dying, we're not worried about the temperature, we're not worried about clothes, we're not worried about anything else that's going on around us, we're looking into the eyes of someone that's dying. And you and I will have no trouble discerning where that individual stands concerning the hope of the salvation that God gives us through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And who died for us so that whether we are alive or whether we are asleep, we will live together with him in heaven. So this hope of eternal life in Christ, if I was going to lay for you a foundation, understand this, our faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're sitting here today and you have any, any level of faith whatsoever in church, can I just caution you and let you know that it is only through our faith in Christ that you and I will live together with him in, in heaven. That's it. So if someone asks you today during lunchtime, if someone says, hey, what do you believe it takes for a person to get to heaven? You ought to be able to say with some degree of confidence, if you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to be able to say, Jesus. But would you believe me if I told you today that if we just went one by one through the group today, there's people that are seated right here in this room. Right here in this room, right now, that would declare it's Jesus plus some other things. 
It's Jesus plus I need to tithe. It's Jesus plus I need to go to small group. It's Jesus plus I need to carry my Bible. It's Jesus plus I need to be a good person. It's Jesus plus I need to leave others. It's Jesus plus I need to obey the Ten Commandments. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and that's it. Not because I said it was true, but because that's what the Bible said. John said it best. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. Simple, very clear, easy for us to understand. I want to read this text out of Ephesians for you just briefly again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, verse number 12. For our struggle is not against the flesh and the blood, but it's against the rulers, it's against the powers, and it's against the world forces of this darkness. There's that word darkness again. Against the spiritual forces and the wickedness in heavenly places. In verse number 13, he says this, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil so that you will be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Verse number 14, he says this, Stand firm, therefore, having belted around your waist this, this belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. In verse number 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In verse number 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the fiery arrows, verse number 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then maybe the best instruction of all, verse number 18, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit with this view and be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. I think about those people that were in that apartment. And I think about what it was like when that storm made landfall. And there was a moment in time when they had to realize this was a terrible idea. Can you just imagine as a parent having put your five-year-old son in peril because of a poor decision that you made as the roof was being ripped off the structure, as the structure was being dismantled, as the rain was coming in at a 205-mile-an-hour wind and the raindrops are like bullets that are hitting against your skin, as the windows are crashing out, as the foundation begins to crumble, as the building is being destroyed, this was a bad idea. I'm here today just to give you a warning. The storm's coming. If you would have asked me last January, hey, Pastor Kevin, you got a big storm coming in your life? No. Man, we're all good. We just had Christmas time, all our families together. What a great blessing to be able to have all our family together at Christmas time, open up presents, everybody's having a good time. 
Hey, Pastor Kevin, the storm's coming. You better make sure, Pastor Kevin, that when you get up every day, you're going to sense that breastplate down extra strong. Because what you don't know, Pastor Kevin, is in about six months, the storm's coming. And you better have those straps tied down really tight. Because you and your family are about to be knocked down. I'm going to tell you what, our family got knocked down. But one of the greatest blessings in life is the fact that many people in our church understood Paul's direction here that we ought to encourage one another. That we ought to build each other up. I don't know how big a deal that is to you. For some of you, it may not be any big deal to you at all because you may put yourself in the position that I was last January. I got no storm coming. I don't have anything to worry about. Man, this is some of the most tranquil water of my life. Man, we got a new grandbaby on the scene. All is good. My wife's getting out of hand buying presents for the baby. I'm trying to regulate that. It's not going well. It's still not going well 12 months later. That's okay. I'm doing my best. But if somebody would have come to me and said, hey, the storm's coming. I am so thankful for that breastplate that God has given me. And I'm warning you today. The storm's coming. And I'm begging you to make sure. I'm begging you to make sure before you walk out of this room today that you have the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because when that storm hits, if you don't have that breastplate of faith, you may not get up. You may be just like those 20 some odd people in that second story apartment. You lost your life to spend an eternity in hell separated from God because you were too proud because your ego was too big and you didn't feel like this pertained to you today. I'm telling you, this pertains to you. Let's pray together. Father, I love you, Lord. I just thank you for the truth of your word today. Father, I thank you that you have equipped us with everything we need to resist the battle that's placed before us. When the storm comes, when the winds are too strong, when the battle is intense, Father, you've given us exactly what we need. You've given us, Father, a breastplate of faith to protect us. You've given us a helmet of the hope of our salvation in Christ. And I just pray for that individual that's here today, Father, that maybe is living with a false assurance. Maybe they've walked out on that balcony and the warning's been extended today and they've walked out on that balcony and they've said with absolute certainty, that does not apply to me. You want me out of here, you're going to have to arrest me. I pray, Father, that as your Holy Spirit falls on this place, I pray for the individual that's here, Father, that is outside of fellowship with Jesus. 
Come unto me, all ye that are weary and you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My sheep hear my name, I know them and they follow me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And we're all going to face that reality at some point. The storm's coming. Help us to make a good decision today, Father. I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for salvation in his name. Amen.